Good morning, family and friends of Amukyo Methodist Church. Blessed Easter Sunday to you. I hope you enjoyed the short video clip of the paper cross made by our social media team. I hope parents who are watching will take some time and try it out with your children on Easter Sunday today. The link can be found in the chat and in the description box below. This Easter is different as we are not physically together. Nonetheless, I believe God's word and presence can and will touch you today. And you will believe in your hearts that He is risen indeed. Let's pray before we hear God's word. Heavenly Father, open our hearts and minds to hear your word. May you use my mouth and to be a mouthpiece of what you want to say to Amokyo family and friends. Hide me in your presence and let your word shine forth. In Jesus' name, Amen. Before I begin, I would like to give credit to one of my favorite online preachers, Andy Stanley. I took most of his inspiration and ideas to craft this message. I was very blessed and encouraged by him, and I hope you will be encouraged and blessed too. You can find his messages on YouTube. Just search for Andy Stanley. So Easter is a time where Christians all around the world celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But the point of it is that Easter points to a question that everybody should be asking. It is not the most important question right now, because maybe the most important question right now for you at home is when will this COVID-19 situation end? When can I leave my house? Or for students, will I still have my June holidays? For those who are worried about work and finances, will I get retrenched? Do I have enough money to support my family? All these are important questions. But for Easter, the very important question we should ask ourselves is, Who is Jesus? Allow me to bring you back to the first Easter and look at what the disciples did back then. The resurrection is what convinced the disciples that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, that He is indeed the Son of God, and God became flesh. It wasn't just His teachings, miracles, or numerous followers that convinced them. It was the resurrection, and the resurrection has been convincing people ever since. Christians believe Jesus rose from the dead because the first century disciples of Jesus recorded the life of Jesus and His resurrection. We have Matthew and Mark who recorded the events. There was Luke who was a doctor and concluded that Jesus was alive. We have James, the brother of Jesus, who concluded that Jesus was his Lord. What would your brother have to do to convince you he was your Lord? When Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, James was not convinced that Jesus was his Lord. James was not impressed by Jesus' miracles or teachings. But after the resurrection and ascension, James went on to be the bishop in Jerusalem and was stoned to death because he did not go along with the religious tradition. James, the brother of Jesus, insisted that his crucified brother, who rose from the dead, was his Lord. These followers of Jesus documented what they saw and heard from others, who have also seen the resurrected Jesus. All these documents were collected and protected, and many years later combined to what we know as the Bible today. If the story of Jesus ended at the crucifixion, it would not be worth telling. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus was just another teacher that went off the rails. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus was just another Messiah crucified by Rome. And the disciples and people who recorded this event were so brutally honest. It is one of the reasons you should take their account seriously. They do not write themselves as heroes of the stories, 
but as doubters. Why? Because the truth is they doubted. If you have doubts about who Jesus is, whether he's real, whether he's alive, you doubted when you prayed and nothing happened. You look when you look at your situation and the situation in the world and you doubted whether Jesus is alive. Let me tell you this, my friends. You and I, we are just like everyone else. It is alright to doubt. Because every single character in the Easter story doubted. They doubted because they expected Jesus to do what all dead people do. Do you know what all dead people do? They stay dead. Nobody expected nobody. And I got this from Eddie Stanley and it's so true, right? Nobody expected nobody as the grave was empty. They all doubted Jesus. Nobody expected him to be resurrected because the devoted followers and disciples of Jesus thought they had been fooled, thought they had been tricked. They thought Jesus was not who he claimed to be. The problem with Jesus was not because of what he taught, not what all what he did. The problem with Jesus was what he claimed about himself. And if he was telling the truth about himself, the Romans would not be able to crucify Jesus to death because he is the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for hundreds of years. John, the Apostle John in the Bible, is another cru- crucial eyewitness to both the crucifixion and the resurrection. And he records both events for us. Like the rest of the disciples, John did not expect a crucifixion and he did not expect a re- resurrection. You know what he expected? He expected a king. John tells us in chapter 11, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, many believed in him. Jesus had support from the ground. The Jewish people believed the raising of Lazarus from the dead was an undeniable act of God. Many people believed in him. The problem was too many believed in him. The religious people in Jerusalem decided that they had enough and plotted to kill him. However, the people in Jerusalem were excited. It was Passover and Passover is a time to remember that God came through for the Jewish people and broke them out of bondage and slavery from Egypt. Now Jesus as king will break them out of bondage from the Romans. This expectation made the crowd excited. Jesus then celebrated the final Passover with the twelve disciples. And while he was there, he increases their expectation that he will declare himself king. As they were having the Passover, Jesus announced that he is establishing a brand new covenant. And for these Jewish disciples who have been raised through the Old Testament and been taught by the prophets, they knew that the prophet Jeremiah had prophesied that one day, God would in fact declare a brand new covenant with his people and Jesus indicated that this is that time. Here we see that God moves in an unexpected way. When we use our limited perception, we fall short of it and miss it altogether. God uses Jesus to establish a new parameter of our faith. And this is what Jesus said. This is my commandment, love each other the way that I have loved you. You have to love each other not the way you have been loved, not the way you want to be loved. Family and friends, you are to love the world the way Jesus has loved you. Because the very next day, Jesus will put on a demonstration of love, their love, that love that would change our lives. Clearly, the disciples thought he is about to declare himself king. But unknown to them, Jesus was about to do something for you 
and you and you and for the world. After saying that, the disciples and Jesus finished the Passover meal and that very night, Judas betrayed Jesus and Jesus was arrested, brought to Pilate, flogged, beaten and crucified. Remember John, the, witness, the eyewitness? He was there. And then John does the most unusual thing. John paused, reflects, and then made this record, not for his immediate audience, but for future generations, for us, for you and me. And here, here's what John wrote. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Why did Joseph need to ask for permission? Because Joseph couldn't bury a crucified body unless he bribed someone, maybe the centurion on site, or in this case, Pilate. So with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier, who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. This shows that these two men expected Jesus to do what dead men always do, which is to stay dead. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrap it with spices in strips of linen, this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new tomb, a cave, in which no one has ever been laid. And because it was a day, it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Here, what they were trying to say was that the men were in a hurry, as the sun was about to set, and once the sun set, Sabbath began, and none of this worked would be lawful to do. So they hurriedly prepared Jesus' body for burial, put him in this tomb, and left. The story continues with John telling us that they were woken up on a Sunday morning by Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was one of Jesus' devoted followers. On that Sunday, while it was still dark, before sunrise, she went to the tomb and discovered that the body was gone. So she quickly ran and informed Peter and John, and she probably was banging on the door. They opened the door and she panicked. She was probably sobbing. They could barely understand what she was saying. And she said to Peter and John, They have taken the lots out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. We went to the tomb to make sure his body was properly prepared. But the stone was rolled away. We looked inside and there was no body. Someone, and she assumes what anyone would assume, not a miracle, not a resurrection. Here again, no one writes themselves into the story as heroes or believers. None of them believed Jesus could rise from the dead. She looked into an empty tomb and she assumed what we would have assumed in the first century. Someone has stolen the body. Someone has taken the body of our Lord and we don't know where they, whoever they are, put him. And John says, so Peter and the other disciple, speaking of himself, went to the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, talking about himself, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John went on to say, When I got there, I got to the, to the outside of the tomb, and I bent over, and I looked in at the strips of linen lying there. But I'll be honest, I didn't go in. And why didn't he go in? It was dark, it was a tomb, such honesty by John. He was no hero. He is as confused as all the Jesus followers were on this first Easter morning. He said, Then eventually my friend Peter finally caught up. Then Peter came along behind me 
and he went straight into the tomb. Why did he go straight into the tomb? Because he was Peter. And that's what Peter would do. Peter didn't wait. He spoke too soon. He acted too soon. He was always getting into trouble. And he went straight into the tomb. And here, John says, here's what we saw. We saw the strangest thing. We saw what we did not expect to see. Because when someone steals a body, they take the body and everything with it. Here's what we saw in that moment. Convince us that the world has changed. Our world has changed. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. It was as if Jesus made his bed after he rose from the dead. This was not a mess. This was, this was not a rush job. Thieves would not have taken the time to this and bump a body and John finally mustered up the courage to step inside and John said speaking of himself he saw for himself and when he saw he believed and his world changed because the resurrection of Jesus reframed his entire life he reframed everything about his life suddenly it dawned on him everything Jesus taught was true everything Jesus said about God the Father was true and on that Easter morning, when John recognized that Jesus had re risen from the dead, it all came together for him. John and Peter and the others would eventually see Jesus alive from the dead. After that Sunday, Peter and John stayed in town. Some of the disciples went back to Bethany where Lazarus lived. And we don't know where the other disciples went. They just knew that there was a price on their head. And one of those disciples was Thomas. And John gave us the detail of Jesus' first encounter with Thomas. He says this, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Thomas heard about this and told the disciples, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas felt, like he just spent three years of his life chasing a false messiah. Now he is not going to spend the rest of his life chasing a ghost and a rumor. And Thomas could have said this to himself, I'm not going to dedicate the rest of my life talking about a dead man who came back to life unless I see him. And who can blame him? A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. John said, we were in the room and the doors were locked and Jesus came and stood among us and he said, Peace be with you. And of course he said, Peace be with you because he scared us to death. And then Jesus looked at Thomas and said, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it to my side. Here's the part where we need to pay attention because this is what Jesus said next. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. John included this little piece of narrative because again it goes back to his central theme. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus probably told him, Thomas, I understand why you doubted. Thomas, I understand why you didn't believe. Thomas, you are just like the rest of these guys. Don't let them fool you. Don't let them give you a nickname like Doubting Thomas 
because none of them believe. All of them doubted. Not a single follower in this room believed I was risen from the dead until they saw me with their own eyes. Don't be deceived. Don't be an unbeliever. At this moment, Jesus leaves his immediate context of that time. He looks through the ages. He looks at you, looks at me, and he says to the group gathered there that day, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You believe because you have seen, but blessed is the future generation. Blessed are the people that will come after you. Blessed are the people you tell. John, blessed are the people that read and believe your account. And Peter, blessed are those that read and believe your account. But blessed are those generations that hear and believe but have not seen. And then John closes his his account with this. He closes with an invitation for all of us. And his invitation is simple. It's what he has said throughout his gospel. John would have said, I want you to believe that my testimony is true and I want you to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And once you are convinced that he is who he claimed to be, I want you to take one more step. I want you to place your trust in him. I want you to believe in Jesus. And why? Because that there came that morning that sealed the promise. His buried body began to breathe, and out of the silence that we thought would be silent forever, the roaring lion declared, The grave has no claim on you and me. So for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son, the light of the world, the word became flesh, that whoever believes in him will not be lost to God, would not perish, but have eternal life. That was Jesus' invitation to John. That's your Heavenly Father's invitation to all of us. And our hope is that this Easter season would become personal for you. That based on John's account, you will believe that and you will trust in Jesus. Friends, can I encourage you to trust in the Word of God and trust Him with your life. This is the invitation for you, the invitation to experience God's love in your life and that you will experience His abundant life for you and to have His peace in your life. If you will accept this invitation, will you put your hand over your heart and say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I acknowledge I do not deserve your grace and forgiveness. But thank you for your loving grace that grants me forgiveness in my life. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and that you want to come into my life and save me from sin. I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Isn't this wonderful? If this is your first time saying this prayer, let me welcome you into God's kingdom and family. Please reach out to us, send us an email, Facebook message, or through any means you are comfortable with. We want to journey with you and help you grow in your walk with Jesus. And to the rest of the family, I pray that this Easter, you will be blessed and encouraged that Christ has risen and conquered death. The grave has no claim on you and me. Thank you and God bless.